Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome to episode, I think it's 23 of the Snyder Cut. I should really figure that out. I am your very handsome host, Jeff Snyder, senior film reporter here at Collider, and we have got a jam-packed show for you. My goodness, guys. Like, I don't even know where to start. Where do we start? I want to get to, like, the rant stuff and the political stuff and the Oscar stuff. Maybe in the second half of the episode. So I think we're going to hold that. Let's talk about just like the the news. Like it has been a wild week. Uh, first and foremost, Taika Waititi being eyed to direct a new Star Wars movie. This was, of course, inevitable. I mean, everybody loves Taika Waititi. I've never heard anybody say like a bad thing about him except... <laughs> Maybe the people in, involved in uh, Bubbles over at Netflix. But that was an understandable exit, you know, I mean, with all the Michael Jackson stuff. Um, Taika Waititi is just a really great storyteller. He's super creative. Um, I, I, I liked what he did with Thor Ragnarok. I wasn't, like, doing somersaults like a lot of people were for it. But I, I think he's a uh, really strong director. I love Jojo Rabbit. That is one of my favorite films of the year. And something that, honest to God, guys, I could see it. I could see it winning Best Picture. I know it's kind of divisive, but so is Green Book. Uh, Jojo Rabbit was really fantastic, and it was tricky. Like, there are so many ways that movie could have gone wrong, and Taika really hit the nail on the head. Like, it was the perfect balance of, you know, heart and humor and and satire, and, and, and I don't understand the people who don't really get Jojo Rabbit. So, let's see. He's going to do Thor Love and Thunder next. And Christian Bale is, uh, you know, close to a deal on that one, although it was strangely not mentioned in Deadline's Christian Bale piece uh, regarding the David O. Russell project, which we're going to talk about soon. But Taika doing Star Wars, like he, he obviously was in The Mandalorian. He voiced uh, one of the droids, and he directed the last episode, which was really good. I mean, I, I really like The Mandalorian, and I... <laughs> I am like the last person on this planet who would say that, you know, like I'm not a Star Wars guy. It really did impress me because it, it it was just, it felt new and different. It didn't feel like just the regurgitation of, you know, the Skywalker stuff, which I've you know been watching for nine movies or whatever, or seven since I didn't see Attack of the Clones or Phantom Menace. Anyways, Taika doing Star Wars makes a ton of sense. It sounds like something he'll focus on after Thor. So, like, we're still going to have to, uh, as I tweeted, uh, wait, 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 Titi, a, a little while for this one. Like, this is not happening anytime in the immediate future because he has a pretty jam packed dance card. He's also, like, doing a ton of stuff as an actor. Like, he's in Free Guy, he's in uh, the, the Suicide Squad sequel from, from James Gunn. So, Taika is just sort of taking over Hollywood. It's a Taika takeover. And I'm all for it. If anybody's going to do it, like I, I'm, I'm, I'm down. Um, I don't. What's interesting is, is this the same project as the Kevin Feige one that he's producing? You'd have to assume so. You'd have to assume that Kevin brought Taika into the fold, and he, you know, promised him, Taika, I'm going to insulate you from all maybe the insanity over at Lucasfilm and and or for you know whatever's going on that prompts filmmakers to to clash with them and uh, and and subsequently exit projects. I mean, Lucasfilm isn't going to be the one exiting the projects. They're the boss. They hired directors. So I wonder if Kevin sort of gave Taika his assurances, like, I'm going to insulate you from that stuff. I'm Kevin. I'm, like, you know, one of the most powerful people on the Disney lot here. I have a lot of sway. You know, whatever you want, I'm going to go to bat for you and, and get it. So you have to assume it is. If it's not, that would be odd. I, I don't know if Taika is going to be writing this himself as well or if he'll have a writing partner or if they're just going to hire somebody to sort of bring his vision to life. Um, he sort of played cool. I think somebody actually asked him. It may have been Variety, like, "Hey, like, you know, do do you have any interest in doing a Star Wars movie, and or, or are you going to?" And he was like, "Well, I don't know anything about that, but you know, obviously, I'd I'd, I'd love to. For now, I'll just settle for being the hero of uh, of the Mandalorian. Like, he just has a great sense of humor. I I've seen him like 
when I when I've been to Marvel, I've seen him like as a part of like presentations and stuff. He's he's great with the press. I mean, I'm sure he's really good with actors. Like, you know, there's a reason Christian Bale is doing uh, Thor four. You know, it's it, the reason he's even engaging in those negotiations is because I've heard he wants to work with Taika. So Taika's the man of the hour, and Star Wars needs a direction. You know, like the 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 fate of the franchise is sort of in his hands. We don't know what's going on with Ryan Johnson's. Uh, trilogy that was another part of the Hollywood Reporter's exclusive, which featured Kim Masters on it. You know, like it, it's a big one if Kim Masters is going to put her name on just like a, a regular uh, movie scoop, so to speak. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know what's going on with Ryan Johnson's trilogy. I've heard plenty of rumors that it's probably not going to happen. It seems like now he's focusing on Knives Out too, which I was not a fan of the first Knives Out. So. <laughs> But I get it. When you make $200 million, you got to do it. And he got an Oscar nomination for it. And I, I understand that, too. It wouldn't have been my choice. Seems like I probably would have gone with The Farewell. I think that's the same category, right? But uh, anyways, that is the Taika element. That That is what's going on with him and with Star Wars. I don't know. I mean, this is a this is a huge coup for for Kathleen Kennedy if he in fact signs on to do a Star Wars movie. Like I, this may buy her another year or two at the helm, if that's even what she wants. Like again, I've I sort of heard, heard that she was going to shepherd Star Wars Episode Nine and then sort of ride off into the sunset with that feather in her cap, like having resurrected Star Wars and you know made four or five bil- movies that made a billion dollars or whatever. To you know, to to just justify the the four billion dollar uh, investment that Disney made, obviously in Lucasfilm, when it, it acquired from Salty George. <laughs> uh, we can move on. Christian Bale reported to be set to star in David O. Russell's next movie. Um, this is something that I think I've talked about on this podcast before. Uh, it, the the project, as I've heard it called, is Amsterdam. And this may be something totally different, but I'd, I'd heard that Christian Bale and David O. Russell were going to do a project called Amsterdam about the unlikely partnership between a doctor and a lawyer. I'm not sure whether Bale would be playing the doctor or the lawyer. He's never really played a doctor before. That would be interesting. And it pairs him with a, with a uh, younger woman. And at first I'd heard it was going to be Jennifer Lawrence, who has obviously starred in, in Silver Linings Playbook and American Hustle and Joy. She's, she's worked with David O. Russell for a bunch of times. Or, um, and then, uh, then I started hearing it was Margot Robbie. So I don't know where things have landed. I've also heard that Oscar winners Jamie Foxx and Angelina Jolie were being sought for supporting roles. So, like, David O. Russell, I mean, he shoots for the moon. He typically gets the people he wants. You look at American Hustle, that was Bale, Amy Adams, Jennifer Lawrence, Bradley Cooper, Jeremy Renner. Like, that was five big ones. (laughs) Like, this guy can put together an A-list ensemble and... You know, I, I don't know what uh, to make of this Angelina Jolie Taylor Sheridan movie, but like I think you know a- Angie could stand to get back out there as an actress working with a top tier director like David O. Russell. That would be interesting. Same goes with Jamie Fox. Like, I, I mean, I wish that Just Mercy had had a higher profile. It was a solid movie. He was solid in it. He missed out on a nomination despite getting the SAG nomination. Um, so it'd be it'll be interesting to see how that comes together. But Deadline reports that. Uh, that, sorry, that this be, this is being fast tracked at New Regency, and I think it's it. What I think it used to be over in Annapurna. I don't know if it was ever officially there or not. If they were just like you know thought it was going to land there at one point. I, I'd heard that David O. Russell at one point had signed a two picture deal with Annapurna, but that that never actually came out. And obviously, Annapurna's undergone a bunch of changes, and you know I don't know where they stand these days. But uh, this one's going to be over at New Regency, which was also doing the the skies belong to us. This hijacking movie that I had always heard David O. Russell was going to do with Michael B. Jordan. Um, interesting story on that one. I think I'd heard Margot for that. So maybe maybe David O. Russell is really just trying to work with Margot Robbie. Who isn't, though, at, you know, at this point? She's one of the most bankable actresses in Hollywood. All right. We got a lot more. I went on a little uh, – it wasn't a wild goose chase. It was a goose chase, though, about this Black Widow cinematographer. Interesting story. It was like – at first, we we noticed he wasn't on the credit block, and a cinematographer is typically on the credit block, particularly over like a visual effects supervisor. Or, you know, who they have a couple of odd ones that were in that credit block. 
And then we realized that, you know, like Disgusting Film had reported Rob Hardy, who, you know, shot Annihilation and Ex Machina. He works with Alex Garland a lot, that he had signed on to be the cinematographer, you know, under Kate Shortland. And I think that was true. I don't know if a deal ever closed or not, but, uh, you know, he, for all intents and purposes, he was a cinematographer. And then, for whatever reason, he exited. And it sounds like he exited before production started. I don't. I don't think that he worked on this movie. I think it ended up being Gabriel Beristain's job all along. Although some of my collider editors always thought some of these shots look very Rob Hardy esque, suspiciously Hardy esque. Anyways, you know, I, I I tried to get an answer out of Marvel, like, hey, you know, what happened here? What was there any drama behind the scenes? Like, who, you know, and. I, I couldn't get a, a response out of Marvel, and, and you know, we, I think we typically have a decent relationship. You know, they don't obviously don't comment on a lot of stuff, like, and that's understandable. You know, they're uh, given the secretive nature of the company, but it was like you guys can't confirm who shot this movie that is in post production and comes out in five months. It was an odd one to say the least. But Gabriel Beristain, he hasn't been the, like a chief DP on a movie in a long time. But he did shoot like Blade Two for Guillermo del Toro, so like he's worked with you know a master filmmaker like del Toro. That was an early, early Marvel movie, by the way. I mean, Blade is a, a Marvel character, and he's he's always had a hand in these MCU productions: Guardians of the Galaxy, the Iron Man, all three Iron Man movies, Thor: The Dark World. Uh, I think there was you know one or two others, but um, you know he's been involved in like the 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 camera crew. Whether it's you know shooting, doing the reshoots, or as you know, doing being the DP on the reshoots or doing additional photography, he has definitely been involved. And so, I don't know when Hardy left. It must have been pretty close to the start of production. It seems like Beristain was a trusted name who who Marvel could just turn to and be like, "Hey, man, can you can you get this done?" Like it's it's a it was a big leap for him. I'm sure they could have gotten maybe a bigger name or someone who's a little bit more active uh, at the time, but. You know, that, that, that's not to take anything away from Gabriel Beristain. Like, the, if the movie looks Hardy-esque, people obviously that that's a compliment. I mean, the, the movie looks good visually, so I think that he did a good job. Again, I don't know how much, you know, and this is just, I, I don't know how much a director or cinematographer, and, and I, I hope I don't mean to like demean anybody, obviously, but like, it seems like a lot of these Marvel movies are just like storyboarded to death, and and then someone just comes in and shoots them, so. I wonder how much input they really have into things. It can't be like a normal movie, at least. That that like at least give me that. But I'd be curious to know like how these folks feel about you know just the Marvel way, so to speak, the Marvel process. Um, clearly, it wasn't a, a problem for for Barristan. And I'm you know even though I don't think Black Widow looks that great. I'm going to check it out, you know, particularly Scarlet's coming off of two Oscar nominations. Like, you want to, you want to see what's next. I want to see David Harbour and Florence Pugh, another Oscar nom- nominee. Like, there's definitely some interest there for me. I just, the story, like, is that, was this a necessary solo movie or just something that the fans always kind of wanted? Um, but an interesting mystery, nonetheless solved, and, and maybe I just shake the tree and, and something else falls out. You know, maybe a trade picks up this report and and does a little bit more uh, looking into this. It's just that Kate Shortland, not that she's inexperienced, but she hasn't obviously done anything like Black Widow. There's nothing like this on her resume. So you think that they'd pair her with someone who has a little bit more uh, experience. Again, not that Gabriel is inexperienced, but he just hasn't. The 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 credits aren't there like like some of the other MCU cinematographers of late. Uh, we can move on to Adam McKay. A lot, a lot of like major filmmakers in the news this week. Adam McKay signing on to do the Uninhabitable Earth. This is like a global warming, climate change anthology series, and I bet Adam McKay gets some pretty serious talent for this one. You know, who, who may be looking to support a good cause. Um, I mean, again, anthology series are sort of becoming all the rage because you can get top talent for them since they're only signing on for like a week or two of work. I mean, I don't know how long it takes to to film these things or whether the anthology is 30 minutes or 60 minutes or what, but I was really impressed with Little America. I can now talk about that freely, and uh, that was the an Apple series. I think this is an Apple series as well. Little America was fantastic. 
from Lee Eisenberg and, and Kumail and his wife, uh, Emily. And um, yeah, I just I just love that. So I think that that's actually out today, as a matter of fact. Yeah, January 17th. Start with those first two episodes, the, the one about squash and um, the, the Jaguar, so to speak, and then the manager, about the, the kid who runs the motel. Those are great. I love the one about the, the Grand Prize Expo winners. The mom who takes their, her her kids on vacation. The, I mean, it's just a really kind of warm-hearted, delightful show, and it makes you look at people, um, you know, of all stripes in a different light. Uh, so that's my that's my Apple plug. Adam McKay, you know, he, he's he's everywhere. He's he's wait, is it was Uninhabitable Earth Apple or, or HBO Max? I think that's what it was. Uninhabitable. Yeah, it was HBO Max. Sorry, not Apple. Forgive me. I thought so. Knew that was wrong. So, uh, speaking of HBO Max, because <laughs> that's why I did this. That's why I put them together. Uh, Steven Soderbergh signed uh, like an overall deal there. I love it. This guy was like retiring a few years ago. Now he's signing <laughs> overall deals. And according to Matt Bellany, the editor in chief of the Hollywood Reporter, it sounds like they, you know, this was a big deal, and it was, and the deal was to incentivize Soderbergh. To create mainstream stuff like Ocean's Eleven and not sort of the, the niche, bubble, experimental type of stuff, which I, I like it all. Like I, I really, it's not that I mean I didn't love like uh, Unsane or whatever, but I'm glad that he took a shot doing that. Like that looked interesting to me. I was always going to go see it. I really liked High Flying Bird. The Laundromat was okay. I, I preferred High Flying Bird. I thought that was actually uh, one of last year's better movies and something that was just totally overlooked. Like, Andre Holland was terrific in that. He really should have been in the best actor conversation more. But uh, Soderbergh, this, like, the guy's just special. Like, if I could go to lunch with any filmmaker, as much as I'd want to say, like, Tarantino or Fincher, like, I bet Soderbergh would be maybe the most fascinating person you could go to lunch with. Um, it just seems like a really smart, interesting dude. So, nice job by HBO Max getting into business with McKay, who's obviously already already doing the Lakers series for HBO, and for Soderbergh, has a, who has a long relationship with HBO. They did Mosaic and a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, we had another Snyder Cut exclusive rumor confirmed this week uh, with D. Uh, sorry, Deepak Priyanka Chopra and uh, and Richard Madden signing on to the Russo Brothers series Citadel. That sounded interesting. It's like a global spy series. It's going to be produced in multiple languages with with different casts and stuff. Like they just think that the concept is is that universal. Um. I think it's India, Italy, maybe Mexico that are getting their own productions. It's definitely a new way of doing things. And I like that pairing. Like, Priyanka Chopra could be pretty badass, I think, if she wanted to be. Like, she's got to get her hands dirty. They got to let her get her hands dirty. Richard Madden, I think I said when this first came out, so, like, I didn't think that he was ultimately going to sign on because Bodyguard is also, like, a, a spy series. I don't know how different this is. It, it must be, but um, you know, he's he's blowing up right now between that show and, and Eternals, and he did a pretty good job in Rocket Man. I thought, yeah, he ended up doing it. I guess I was right. Moving on, Steve McQueen, another Amazon deal over here. He is doing the sci-fi series Last Days. It sounds pretty heady. You know, I don't think he is the kind of guy who would revert to just typical genre genre tropes. I think he's going to sort of flip stuff on on its head. You wouldn't think of Steve McQueen as like a guy signing like an, an overall deal, but uh, you know, I think Widows showed that he does have something a little bit more mainstream in him. That movie didn't do that great. I thought it I thought it was a little bit more commercial than it got credit for. Yeah, people just didn't turn out, but you know, part of that was maybe the cast. You know, nobody really knows Elizabeth Debicki. I don't know. No, nobody's going to see Michelle Rodriguez movies outside of Fast and Furious. It's that kind of thing. Um, Ruben Fleischer emerged as the frontrunner for Uncharted. This obviously tracks. He's sort of a, a Sony guy. He did Zombieland stuff. He did Venom. He got Venom to like $850 million. I mean, they were going to reward him with something. I don't know that Uncharted is, is the best reward they could give the guy. 
and we'll see if this one ultimately sticks. We've obviously obviously seen six or seven different directors come and go, including David O. Russell. We talked about at the top of the show. Can't even imagine how how or why he ended up flirting with the, that project. But Ruben Fleischer has the the sort of sensibility he can merge action and comedy, which is what I assume this Uncharted is going to be. You're going to see, you know, maybe a, a gruff Mark Wahlberg, a Sully. I would have, yeah, I would have loved to have seen uh, Bill Murray come and play. But uh, you know, this is an an important an important uh, an important. I don't know why I can talk today. An important project for Sony. I think it's supposed to come out this December too. I don't know if that's going to end up happening. But yeah, I, I don't know if they're going to be able to squeeze it in before Tom Holland does Spider Man. It seems like they really want that to go this summer. Elsewhere, Robert Zemeckis doing Ares, another sci-fi movie for Warner Brothers. It's been a while since he's done something like this. Feels a little bit big, like bigger than some of his most more recent movies. Um, He's done a lot of the sort of mature adult dramas of late. Uh, I'm 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 down for this. Zemeckis, get get weird, get crazy. Um, this could be like he, he probably looked at Steven doing Ready Player One. Is like I want to do something like that. I don't know what the hell Ares is, but uh, it sounds it sounded interesting. Um, the Fox name was dropped. I, I woke up and saw that news. It's no longer 20th Century Fox Studios. It's just 20th Century Studios. It's no longer Fox Searchlight. It's just Searchlight Pictures. It's weird, but I'm sure Fox obviously denotes the Murdochs, and and Disney did not want to be associated uh, with that, and so Fox is gone. I don't want to say good riddance because there's a lot of history behind, you know, Fox and and those studios, those names. But this seemed also kind of inevitable. Uh, Kind of like the reunion of of Will Smith and Martin Lawrence in Bad Boys, which I'd heard going into it was awful. I'd heard some horrible things about this, like Charlie's Angels, Men in Black International stuff. Uh, This was another Sony movie, and it wasn't awful. I liked it. I liked it. It wasn't great. I think the first Bad Boys is legitimately great. I think it's a fu- it's just a fucking awesome movie. Bad Boys 2, which is like kind of strangely has the reputation of being better than Bad Boys, like cuz it upped everything and just got crazy and wild, like no, that was a little obnoxious for my taste. I didn't love Bad Boys 2. I don't think it's like a, a horrible movie, but you know, it's fun, but it, it was no Bad Boys. This one is no bad boys either, let's be honest. But the chemistry between Will Smith and Martin Lawrence really is kind of wonderful. I thought Martin Lawrence actually handled his dramatic stuff. They asked him to do some dramatic stuff in this movie, and, and he, he, he got it. I thought, it, I thought he worked it. Um, so, and he was funny, and Will Smith has sort of had that swagger back. Like I like seeing kind of like cocky Will Smith. And Mike Lowry really is a great character. Like uh, Martin Lawrence may be the key to making this stuff work, which is why they can't just like get rid of him because uh, otherwise I'm sure they would have. <laughs> but like Marcus Burnett is not quite the same as Mike Lowry. <laughs> Mike Lowry means something, which is why everybody, as uh, as the honest trailer put it, which by the way this is a really good honest trailer from the Screen Junkies guys. Everybody puts a little stank on that name, Mike Lowry. <laughs> You're on the mic with Mike. Um, I had fun with it. I liked the new guys. Alexander Ludwig actually nailed his role to perfection. Charles Melton was fun. Vanessa Hudgens has kind of less to do, uh, and I like the new the new female lead whose whose name I'm I'm not recalling. It may be pa- Paola. Uh, Paola. Um, I saw the Lodge last night. Our own Perry Nemiroff was quoted in the trailer as relentless. She called it relentless. I mean, I saw quotes flying around that trailer. Game changing horror. Says Vulture. Like, the next great horror movie, says Slash Film. Get the fuck out of here, guys. The Lodge sucked. Saw it last night with one of my best friends. Uh, He thought it sucked, too. It just, it made no sense. The movie made no sense. I thought it was, like, super kind of predictable, the beginning of it. And then the second half, you couldn't predict because it made no sense. Um, Riley Keough, I, I like her generally, but this was a lot to ask of her, and I don't think she was up to the task. I don't think she was very good in this movie. 
you know, it was well directed. It was like well made, but mm, no, script wise, didn't work for me. No, Mm-mm. skip it. Not not good. This was like it felt like an A twenty four movie that A twenty four passed on. And you know me in A twenty four horror movies. Like I, I really liked Hereditary. The, like Hereditary blew this movie out of the water. But you know, a lot of other A twenty four stuff is either too slow for me, a little too boring, a little too long. The the lodge isn't long like Midsummer or anything, but. Yeah, I'm just like waiting, like get to it. Like I, every, I was checking my phone every eight minutes, just like what time is it? How much longer is this movie? So yeah, didn't care for it. I also saw Underwater, and I can't believe people are giving that movie a pass. It's getting the January pass, folks. I really liked the beginning of, of Underwater for that first half hour, and then man, just went right off a cliff. Became like a, a really bad Cloverfield movie. Uh, what else did I watch this week? I watched the trailer for Lost Girls. That's that's going to be at Sundance. That's a Netflix movie based on Bob Col- uh, Bob Colker's movie, like about uh, the, the Jilgo Beach killer. He's like the Craigslist killer. He was, you know, killing the, these prostitutes, and nobody was speaking up for these these young women. Nobody cared about their deaths, and, and so their families rallied together. And uh, I, I think it looks good. I, I didn't maybe look as great as I thought, but I also don't think that Netflix necessarily necessarily cuts the best trailers. Like I I, I think that's kind of just a fact. Like Netflix trailers are not quite as good as like Warner Brothers trailers. You know, like Warner Brothers has just like the best department in the biz. So part of that, I think, like you know, another studio maybe could have looked made Lost Girls look amazing. Instead, I thought it looked good. I, I still hope I really get to see it at Sundance, but it doesn't start playing until Tuesday night. And I leave that afternoon. I also saw the trailer for Guns Akimbo. This is one of those cult movies that you know will get great reviews from a certain segment of film Twitter. It looked unbearable. It looked insufferable. It looked so obnoxious. Daniel Radcliffe, I feel bad for this guy. They they can't get him anything other than something where he's playing uh, Edward Forty Hands with guns. And I didn't even recognize Samara Weaving. Like that girl has a real star potential. Uh but she's gotta start stop doing like low budget crap like this. So uh I don't think that that's gonna you know, that, that that's like a VOD release. Um, Facebook is pivoting away from scripted stuff, more towards unscripted material. They canceled their Jessica Biel show. They canceled their Elizabeth Olsen show. That may, that show, you know, had won some awards and was critically acclaimed and may, uh, ultimately get bought by another network. But, um, you know, probably a smart move by Facebook. Not, I mean, there's only so many like executives around town who even know what they're doing. Like not everybody can just start buying up, uh, prestige, Scripted series. You know, it's better to play to your strengths. That's obviously unscripted for Facebook to take advantage of certain Facebook stars and, and play to a much younger audience. So, yeah. Uh, the Banker is going to come out in March. Apple reversed its deci- decision following a, an extensive review. They decided, you know, th- this stuff didn't really play a, a big part. Like, like the filmmaker's research didn't come from the guy who, who may have sexually assaulted, allegedly, his sisters growing up when he was like 15, which is also like, I mean, I, I'm not here to excuse anything, but you know, it's a 15 year old boy. Like, you know, they, they obviously make mistakes. From what I understand, he was 15 at the time, I think, and they were younger. I'm not sure. Anyways, Apple's like this. You know, does not affect things, and and the movie was made independent of of this guy, and and so we're gonna put it out in March. It's getting a two week theatrical release before it hits Apple Plus. Uh, again, the banker, one of those movies I might watch on a, on a Sunday afternoon, but not something I'm like excited to go run home and see. Uh, yeah. Sorry. And, and, uh, what else? What else? I watched the Hernandez documentary, documentary, Aaron Hernandez on Netflix. It was good. It didn't tell me anything I didn't already know. The third episode I thought was the best one that re- that's what really sort of, uh, delves into his, his closeted life, um, and and that is sad, you know. Like obviously, Aaron Hernandez had a, a rough un- upbringing. He lost his father young. He didn't really have a male uh, role model. Um, he was this football player, you know, one of the, a major star in like this gigantic, you know, billion dollar business, this macho sport, and he couldn't, you know, be who he really was. 
And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't really make any excuses for the guy. Like, you know, just because you're in the closet doesn't mean you go out and kill multiple people. Um, but it, it was definitely an interesting watch. You know, it's it's not the best that, that Nef- of Netflix, like, true crime documentaries that they have to offer. But uh, it, was effe- it was definitely effective. It was definitely effective. Um, speaking of Netflix, sounds like Mindhunter may not come back. That's wild. Like, are you, are you serious? David Fincher, it sounds like he's lost interest. He doesn't like the location shoots in Pittsburgh. Like, he wants wanted to bring it to L.A., but that would be way too expensive for Netflix. They, everybody may just walk away. They, they release the actors from their contracts, and I don't think that that is really indicative of much. Like, you can always get Jonathan Groff and Holt McCallany, uh back. You know, I don't think it's like trying to get Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio again. And it's Fincher doing the asking. You know, like everybody knows you don't fuck with Fincher. But so I I think that, you know, if David wanted to turn his attention to it and there were scripts and and things were ready to go, they could get those guys back. And it's not that many people who you would really need back. There's three or four, you know, Mindhunter uh, series regulars. And then the rest are like, you know, new serial killers or investigators who you can bring in on on a seasonal basis. Um. But yeah, from what we're hearing, it's done. It's over. And it sounds like David lost interest in it. I don't know if he just spiritually it was too taxing for him, like work, you know, delving into serial killers and dealing with all the sick shit in the minds of serial killers uh, for months at a time because, you know, he is a perfectionist and, and the show does take a while to shoot um, and, and to edit and, and, you know, put together. It, has a lo- it had a long post-production even after things wrapped on the last season. I just, you know, when, when you're with BTK and what they've set up, I think it would be such a shame to let that go. Even and it sounded also like there was a hint of uh, discord between David and the other directors. Um, I don't know how to solve that besides bringing in different people, or maybe David just hands it off to somebody and says, "Hey, listen, can you be the, the showrunner? I entrust this to you. Can you finish the BTK stuff and, and give fans a satisfying ending?" You know, I don't know if that's Mark Romanek who would be fascinating in a job like that. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. But God, to lose that, and now potentially Watchmen. I mean, Damon Lindelof has said he came out and said, "I don't. I'm not interested in a second season." And HBO said, "Well, if Damon's not interested, then we're not interested." And so we're losing Watchmen and Mindhunter in the same day. That's wild. Don't do that to me, Hollywood. Come on. Uh, one I didn't mind though was Amazon apparently dropping Dark Tower. I don't know if that's a true report or not because the guy that I retweeted deleted his tweet. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't recall seeing it from like a. A major trade, I forget. But uh, Dark Tower is just is just a story, even as a Stephen King fan. I'm not like a super fan. I don't read every one of his books, but I've probably read five or six of his books. It, it never appealed to me. I never understand. People say that's his magnum opus, the gunslinger, Roland, all that stuff. It never. I never got it. It's too much fantasy, not enough horror. And I'm not surprised that Amazon did this. I don't think – I think it would have been a financial sinkhole. Yeah. Uh, you got to make some cuts, and they're ch- choosing Lord of the Rings and Wheel of Time over Dark Tower, which also didn't have the cast that I thought that they would get for something like that. Um, they're also rebooting Jack Reacher, or they're doing a Jack Reacher TV series. Obviously, Tom Cruise is not going to go do an Amazon series, so they're going to have to recast the role. I put forth Jeffrey Dean Morgan. I've always thought – you know, people always said Tom Cruise is too little, too short to play Jack Reacher. He's like described as six four, six six, like a gigantic former Marine or whatever the hell he was. And I'm like, well, there's not that many guys who are that size. You know, who actually comes to mind right now would be Jerry Butler. If they could get Gerard Butler to do Jack Reacher, that would be huge. But Jerry Butler drives a hard bargain because he gets pretty well paid for some of these like kind of chintzy action movies that he does. You know, that's a lot of like foreign sales stuff. So you know, Jerry Butler's name has value overseas, and and uh, yeah, Amazon. May, uh, but he might be worth paying up for. I don't know. But I had put forth Jeffrey Dean Morgan, who's almost like a bargain <laughs> bargain version of Jerry Butler. And yeah, I call him Jerry. That's right. After the Machine Gun Preacher premiere, where we really bonded. Uh, <laughs> I was the only I was the only person there. I think that movie made uh, ten bucks. Anyways, Jack Reacher, 
I'm not like I've never read those books. I, I gave away a bunch of them. Um, I'm not a Lee Child guy. A military police. Oh, that's what he was, right? Yeah, it wasn't. I don't know. Whatever. It's no Tom Cruise. Um, Francesca Gregorini is suing M Night Shyamalan over. <laughs> Servant, his Apple series, because it's a lot like her movie, The Truth About Emmanuel, with fucking Jessica Biel. I can't believe her team let let like her move forward with this lawsuit. It's absurd. It's like it'd be like if the people behind Deep Impact sued Michael Bay and the team behind Arm- Armageddon. It was like a lot of people have this idea of like a, a doll as therapy uh, or as a subs as a stand-in for you know a baby i mean give me a break and and it was all about like male privilege and and the idea that this man thought he could steal this idea from this woman it was like you got are you shitting me <laughs> stop um glenn mazara had a really interesting thread where he said he thought that uh, we're going to start to move in to the the oscar stuff i think yeah. Glenn Mazar had this thread where he was like, you know, the Oscars nominations look like what they look like because people are afraid of women and people of color infringing on their territory. And so they're banding together to sort of shut those movies out. I mean, it was an intriguing notion. And from a human behavior standpoint, from just like a psychological standpoint, I totally understand what he's saying. Like, people are territorial. And... I mean, I'm territorial with, with scoops, and when I see a new scooper sort of enter the the field, I'm going to try to, like, hold that person to the fire. Um, I don't know. You know, Glenn, Glenn has an – it's an interesting theory. I just – I don't know. Like, people really don't give their peers credit, and I don't know if they even see the Academy as their peers, but, like, everyone just rails on the Academy, right? The Academy is them. It's the it's there's 8500 people from, you know, Tom Hanks to Bill Bellamy in the Academy. And uh I just I mean you you've seen the numbers go up, right? I think it was 8% to 16%, um but it's still overwhelmingly, you know, older white males, people who are over 60, maybe who haven't even worked in a, in a while. But but they're you know still paying their dues. Like I don't know. I think there's a lot of powerful people who don't work that much anymore. Who the academy would never revoke their privileges. You know, um, they were they did revoke privileges from some people, but it was like a hundred people you've never heard of. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, like they made a big show. I think Variety said fifty percent of uh, of the invitees were women this year. That's great. But that means 50% were men. So while it helps the overall percentage, the, the statistic overall uh, within the academy, it doesn't really help the vote totals. You know what I'm saying? And I mean, I think that there's too many people being added to the academy as it is and that the standards are way too low. Like, I'm not a fan of who who is getting in. It has nothing to do with diversity. It has to do with credits and work and, and you know... Um, but I applaud the Academy for its efforts. Are those efforts working? Did they ever work? Were they even necessary? I, I don't know. Like, it seems like something was necessary, but, it, you know, like the Academy gave it to Moonlight, right? They gave Best Picture to Moonlight. So now you're saying that even despite these, these efforts, these strides that have been made as far as diversity and inclusion within the Academy, everyone went back to a pre-Moonlight way of doing things or, 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 you know, the green books win was in response to moonlight. Like, I don't understand the logic. What I understand is that people like what they like. Okay. You know, I tweeted that like, it's not a coincidence that Catherine Bigelow won best director and the only woman to win best director for making a super duper macho masculine movie, the Hurt Locker. Like, the Academy voting body still gravitates towards male stories, and I will give you that. I really don't think that the Academy cares what is between a director's legs. I think that they care what kind of story they're telling. And, and so I'll grant women that, that the Academy uh, gravitates towards male-focused stories, and they like 
you know, violent movies like The Departed, and and, and I mean every you know. They they like different things each year. There's no there's no real violence in uh, in Green Book or anything. But I think if Greta Gerwig had directed Joker, it would have gotten in. Greta Gerwig chose to to and, and it's like a very lovely movie. It, I like the aesthetic of it. it. It looks very pleasing, but it's not flashy in the way that 1917 or Once Upon a Time or The Irishman are flashy. And that is what gets Best Director nominations. And, I mean, Sasha Stone also had a, gr- a great piece this week about, you know, why Greta Gerwig didn't get a nomination. And, and like, why are we even, like, why is it all about Greta Gerwig? Because her movie got a Best Picture nomination, so it, it's only likely, like, well, you know, the, the movie didn't make itself. Like, I, you hear that every year. Like, why are we not in an uproar about Noah Baumbach not being nominated for, for Marriage Story? I just... I don't know. There's a lot to get into. So I want to go down the, the categories here and, and offer some thoughts that I didn't get to share on FYC, which, by the way, go and go and watch it. It was a great episode. We taped it at Arclight Cinemas from the balcony over at Arclight Hollywood. Me, Scott Mance, Perry Nemiroff, really fun conversation. But I didn't want to you know, ruin it with my, my sourpuss talk. Um, best picture. I guess I just overestimated the farewell all year, because I've have heard from more and more people lately when I've like been bitching about it, uh, and they've like, well, you know, I watched it with my family. I just thought it was okay. It was a nice little movie. Um, I thought it was terrific. I, I was surprised that it didn't make the cut because there was no other movie like it this year. I mean, not even yeah. I, I mean, no, not not Parasite. Like this movie had real heart and. You know, may, maybe you could argue Jojo Rabbit sort of had that sewn up, but um, the farewell did not get in. Ford Ferrari, Ford versus Ferrari did, and so I lost twenty bucks to Mance on that. I thought that there was just going to be eight nominees, but you know, because ten is all but impossible. So there ended up being nine. I knew that it would either be Ford versus Ferrari or Knives Out, and because Knives Out was getting a screenplay nomination, I didn't know whether to sort of give that the edge. Um, but I think screenplay nomination was the reward for that, and Ford vs. Ferrari was nominated with, with the Best Picture nom. I thought it was terrific. Again, my buddy I took to the Lodge last night was not into it at all. He thought it was like conventional and, and generic, and um, I thought it was just an old-fashioned crowd-pleaser. So, I mean, I, I think you have to be really happy with this Best Picture lineup. Um, Queen and Slim... It was really good, Just Mercy, really good, Richard, Richard Jewell, but they just never caught on. And so much of it is the media writing about this stuff. And, I, and I'm telling you guys, the media ain't what it used to be. The people covering this race, the people anointing contenders, and it really is, it's just like this group think. It's this herd-like mentality. Um, best actor. Sandler, yeah, Sandler didn't get it. Dan, De Niro didn't get it. De Niro wasn't that good in The Irishman. Like, what do you want? It became a Jimmy Hoffa movie halfway through. De Niro ended up like be playing a supporting actor in his own movie. The best stuff in that movie is between Pacino and Tony Pro and Stephen Graham. Like, I loved all those scenes. But even you know, like everything with Pesci was was better than it with De Niro. I just. Mm. And so we were always talking about Banderas and Jonathan Price as getting that fifth slot, so to speak, because I still thought that the older white guys would support De Niro, but uh, apparently not. Um, and, and so they both got in. They got in over Sandler and Eddie Murphy, and they got in over Taron Edgerton. So I get 100 bucks from Jack Hine, which I know will make uh, some listeners of this podcast happy. Um, best Actress. You know, I, I, again, I, wrote, I read Sasha Stone's piece. I think it was Sasha Stone about Aquafina and how – Aquafina was never really happening. Um, that it was always sort of, you know, Renee, Scarjo, and and Charlize, and then people were deciding between either Lupita or Cynthia, and they and some were like, well, why not both of them, or why not uh, uh, Alfred Woodard for for clemency? You know, like there was like this Mark Harris piece, like why are we only, why is there only one woman of color slot? Which he was right. You know, like there's multiple women of color deserving this year. But regardless, uh, you know, it sounded like people had to pick one. And then Saoirse, then they saw Little Women and were blown away by Saoirse Ronan. So she was getting in. 
And so Aquafina was always, you know, to her, she was always on the outside looking in. I thought that the, again, I thought that the farewell would have more support. It would sort of, this tidal wave would carry Aquafina, And also the fact that, you know, she is this sort of industry luminary right now. She's, she's, she's very hot. Oscar loves to reward heat, particularly in that, in that uh, best actress category. But, you know, even though I thought it was a thin year overall, I guess it was just a little too crowded for, for, for Aquafina, who I thought was good. But but Shuzhen uh, Zhao was the real uh, snub in Best Supporting Actress for that film, I thought. Speaking of which, Kathy Bates got in. I mean, we knew Laura Dern was getting in. We knew uh, Margot Robbie was probably good for one, Florence Pugh. Scarlett getting a second nomination for Jojo Rabbit was a bit of a surprise because I thought that some people would really – that she could end up splitting a certain segment of the, the Jojo Rabbit vote with Thomas and McKenzie. Um, Kathy Bates is, you know, a really respected actress who has a a best actress statue. So, the you know the the Academy just really likes her work. She has one killer scene in Richard Jewell, and I don't even know that. Like, you know, obviously Margot Robbie has a killer scene in, in Bombshell, and Laura Dern has has one uh, a couple great scenes in Marriage Story. But like, you know, what is Scar- Scarlett or Florence Pugh's killer scene? So that that may lift uh, Kathy Bates a little bit, and that may have lifted her to a nomination. Best supporting actor always felt uh, kind of straightforward. You know, Pacino, Pesci. I thought always thought they were both getting in. Uh, Brad Pitt is going to win this in a walk. Tom Hanks seemed like undeniable. Like, how do you overlook this guy over and over and over and over, which they have for twenty years since Castaway? I, it seemed like you, I can't miss. And then Hopkins for Two Popes, which is just a delightful little movie, and I'm glad that him and Price were both honored. Um, yeah, uh, The Farewell, not getting an original screenplay nomination. Surprising. Um, what else? What else? What else? I thought Atlantics would get an international nomination or Beanpole. Instead, they went with Honeyland, which also got a documentary nom. Uh, the documentary noms, again, like I went off on the show about Apollo 11, like that's a feat of editing. I don't like where is the filmmaking? If he didn't shoot anybody with his camera, how are we giving it a best documentary feature award? This is a weird branch to begin with. They didn't give it to thir- three identical strangers. They didn't give it uh, a nomination to to the Mr. Rogers one. Uh, Won't you be my neighbor? Um, best animated feature. No Frozen 2. Bit of a surprise. Not that I ever would would see it. Toy Story 4, the heavy front runner here, but I'm telling you guys, watch out for those Netflix movies. I lost my buddy and uh, and Klaus. Um, I lost my body was fantastic, and if you haven't seen it, stop listening to me and go watch it right now. It's ter- ter- terrific. Um, best documentary shorts and uh, live action shorts, animated shorts. I haven't really heard of of any of these. Uh, although Matthew Cherry is a guy I have blocked on Twitter. He is behind hair love. So uh, just because we know each other, even though it's not obviously not in a good capacity, I'm rooting for you, Matthew, Matthew A. Cherry. I hope that you win your Oscar, buddy. You're still blocked. Or I'm blocked. I don't know. Whatever it is. Uh, Hildur Guanadotter. Guanadotter. I don't know how to actually pronounce the last name, but uh, I think that she's going to win for Joker. It's just a tremendous score. Thomas Newman from 1917 is, is stiff competition. I do love Randy Newman's work on Marriage Story, but uh, it's, it just feels like the year of Joker to me. Best original song. Cynthia Erivo got a second nomination for Harriet. And I've never even heard of Breakthrough. I assume that's one of the faith-based movies. Um, Frozen 2 got in. Toy Story 4 got in. And that is a, a nice little song by Randy Newman. But I think that this is going to Elton John and Rocket Man for that uh, I'm Going to Love Me Again, which I didn't even realize was an original song. That's a good song. I thought that was one of Elton's old hits. I was wrong. Uh, the Sound Awards. Yeah, whatever. Uh, visual Effects. I wanted Terminator to get a nomination. Was a little bummed. A little bummed. Wasn't that impressed with the, the work in The Irishman. Had seen the stuff in Avengers and Star Wars before, you know? Terminator, I mean, not that I didn't see the stuff in Terminator before, but I thought there was some pretty cool work done. Best costume design, you know, I'm, I, it's it's got to be Joker Once Upon a Time in Hollywood to me. Like, they're just iconic costumes in those movies and nothing iconic from anything else. Um, makeup, man, tough, tough to say. You know, Bombshell, like, that's the showiest work, like, and it's incredible. It's jaw-dropping. But a lot of great work in Maleficent. 
a lot of great work in uh, even, you know even Judy and Joker. So tough to to suss that one out. I suspect it will go to bombshell film editing. Once upon a time in Hollywood did not get a nom. Nineteen seventeen didn't get a nom. But of course, nineteen seventeen those are long takes. So you're just stitching together, you know, six or seven of the of the successful long takes. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, that that's that. But now I got to go into like the tweets. Let's see. So people were up in arms, just up. Like why, why Greta Gerwig? Why her? Because she's an actress, and we feel like we know her. You know, like it, because she has an Oscar nomination under her belt, so her her subsequent films will be awarded this sort of uh, air of prestige, which you know we afford to men all the time. You know, um, I'm looking at these tweets. Sorry, the only. Uh, right, when did when did I start going off? <laughs> I'm scrolling up, guys. Bear with me. Do 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 do. A little hold music for you. All right, I think it was shortly after this. Right, okay. So, like, first of all, when do when did awards start becoming the be-all, end-all of art? Like, if you don't recognize me, then there needs to be change. Like, and, and like, we need to review systems and all that stuff. Like, as Jordan Rumi points out here, Never won a directing Oscar. Stanley Kubrick, Alfred Hitchcock, Orson Welles, Akira Kurosawa, Paul Thomas Anderson, Chaplin, Tarantino, Cronenberg, Malick, Fellini, Bergman, Ridley Scott, Terry Gilliam, Cassavetes, Howard Hawks, Sidney Lumet, Jane Campion. Like, I, like the the Oscars are not like the fucking Bible. They're not the Torah. They're not the Quran. Like. <laughs> It's just taking the temperature of the town on a certain week. That's all they are. And so you have to understand the Oscars for what they are. Um, it's, it's You can't put too much stock in them. So, right, we have a bunch of stuff here. Uh, th- right, I think this was, I don't know if this was Variety, or but it was like, the organization must review the director's branch. Little Women are in six noms, but Gerwig wasn't nominated. Perhaps there's a reasonable explanation. But well, we won't know what it is unless an assessment is made. Perhaps there's a reasonable explanation. The explanation is that only five fucking people get nominated. There's hundreds of movies that come out each year. And of those, there's 100 movies we end up talking about for awards, and then 50, and 25, and and in the end, we're left with even 15 to 20 solid movies, and that means 15 people are going to get left out. And of those 15 people who are going to left out, uh, 10 of them are men. So I just don't like – this isn't fucking youth soccer, man. Like not everybody gets a a participation trophy. Like, if Greta Gerwig had gotten the nomination, are people up in arms? Or is, is the world's problems solved? Are Hollywood's problems fixed? Because Greta Gerwig got a fucking nomination. Are you kidding me? And again, why her? Like, I, again, and this is all subjective. And people don't understand that when I tweet these things. So this is all just my opinion. That's the only, that's the only place I can tweet from is my point of view. It's not like I, I have sources who are whispering in my ear, well, The Farewell was better than Little Women, and so was Nightingale, and so was Late Night, and so was A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Th- those aren't sources. Those are my opinions. So it's not like uh, – anyways, I thought Late Night was better than Little Women. And, my be- and, and that friend that I took to the lodge last night, he was like, you're just moved by movies that make you cry. And so, and, but like, you know, you, you ignore them on their merits. And, and it's like, yeah, like, what else should I be judging movies on other than like how they make me feel? Late night sent me out of the, th- I, I, I laughed, I cried. Like, what more can I ask of a movie? So even though it didn't look as good as Little Women, the cinematography wasn't as good, the score wasn't as good, the costumes and the production design weren't as beautiful. The late late night was a much more satisfying movie to me than Little Women. 
I think if there needs to be any review, it's it's the publications who cover this stuff and and should know better. And some of the stories that they publish, and it's just to stoke the outrage machine, guys. You don't understand how the media works. It's all that matters is getting the eyeballs, getting the clicks. They don't care why you're there. They just want you there. And it's why when I went to Mashable, I was fired because people couldn't handle it. Too hot, too inflammatory, too dangerous. Like, the people writing about awards stuff this year, they don't even seem they don't even seem to believe the stuff that they're writing. They just say the stuff that they're supposed to say. Not the things that they want to say, not the things that need to be said. And everyone is just fear of catching a backlash. Cause, and, and that fear, just like fear, how, how fear governs Hollywood, like the press is always saying that, and they're right. Everyone in Hollywood's job is to say no. No one's job is to say yes. Their job is to say no and act as gatekeepers. It's not to make sure that we make the right movies. It's to make sure we don't make the wrong ones. We don't want to lose the company money. We don't want to lose the company subscribers or customers or readers or whatever it is. And so fear, just that like it drives movie decisions, it drives editorial decisions at publications, and it's wild. Like, the idea that Hollywood isn't making progress and that we need to just throw everything out and that we need to you know, assess how best director is being voted on and we, do, we need a, a nominating committee for the Oscars is fucking ludicrous. Look at this year. Birds of Prey, Wonder Woman 1984, Black Widow, Eternals, Mulan. Those are five of the biggest movies that Hollywood will be making this year. Do any of those movies scream best director nomination to you? No, none of the, but, but that's five very competent, very talented women who, are, who will not be nominated this year because they made comic book movies. And maybe the comic book movies will turn out to be like Joker or, or, or Logan or The Dark Knight. You know, I don't think that they will. Just based on what they're about. So like, you, but you can't be upset when these women who do great work, just like a lot of women did this year. Get overlooked. Like, it's just, like, there is progress being made. I report on that progress every day. Have you noticed I've been doing casting announcements for for Macbeth? The whole cast is black. Like, things are changing. Now, whether, you know, the Academy is changing, too. Whether the people in the Academy are going to change what they like, that's a different story. But it doesn't make them racist, you know? Like, I didn't see Harriet, and I didn't see it because it didn't look good, and because the people who did see it told me it was just okay. She was very good, but the movie was just okay. So I didn't go see it. I didn't bother. It's not like Focus... I don't, I don't know if they sent me a screener. Maybe they did, and I just hadn't, didn't watch it. And now that she's nominated, Cynthia, I want to watch it. It has a certain stamp of approval from the Academy. They say this work was deserving, more deserving than Aquafina and Lupita. I said, well, that, damn, this must be really good. She must be really good. So I'm going to check it out before the, the, the night of the show. But not seeing it beforehand, you know, like that doesn't make me a racist. And I think that that is the problem, though, the, this, this idea that there's bias. And it's, it's not that it's bias. It's just that people have certain tastes. And there, are, and there's so much stuff to get through, guys. This is my job, and I couldn't watch it all. I couldn't watch Honeyland. I, I didn't get to Harriet. There were, I didn't get to Pain and Glory. Like there are a bunch of movies that sometimes you just miss, and that's my whole job. And you have to understand that the 8,500 people in the Academy are busy making movies, and they don't have time to just sit on the couch and watch six movies a day like some of us film critics do. They don't have time. And so things, that's why there's a pile. And the pile has a top and the pile has a middle and the pile has a bottom. And the whole point of publicists and award strategists is to get your movie to the top of that pile. Get it watched. Because from there, the voter will take it on their own. You can't make a voter do something. You can't make a voter vote one way or the other. But you can make them watch the movie if you make sure... 
you know, you you bombard them with invites. Maybe I missed my one Harriet invite to 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 a press screening. You know, I was busy that night. It's not like you know there wasn't this pressure. And, and really, you know, who am I? They're not trying to get my vote. I don't vote for anything. I'm not even in a critics group. But you know that that is part of it, and part of it is how you play the game. You know, Queen and Slim. I don't know how well they played the game. I don't know how well Universal believed in it. Universal probably said, 1970s is our awards pony this year, and we're not really going to get behind Queensland. I'm not accusing Universal of doing that. Maybe they just always saw it as more of a commercial play. But the point is, you don't see films like Queen and Slim nominated, or, or Melina Matsukas nominated, or Lena Waithe nominated, not, not necessarily because of the movie, or because people didn't consider it. Part of it is the way that the game is played. Um. Yeah, I mean, again, there, there's there, there's a lot to unpack here, but people don't even bother unpacking it. They just go t- to, why did this happen? We can't let it happen again. There needs to be women nominated. No, there doesn't. But I'm not. I'm also not here saying there needs to be men nominated either. I hope we get to a year where the best, the five best director nominees are all women, and they just simply made the five best movies of the year. It's not a crazy thought. But like to to start creating a best female filmmaker award or even a best first time filmmaker award just so more people can get nominated for an Oscar. Do you know the fucking anarchy that would arise, okay, from best first time filmmaker? Well, that person made a a documentary. Does that count? It wasn't a narrative feature. This is their first real film. Like do you know the arguments that would bust out based on that stuff? Oh, this movie was technically a student film. He started writing it while he was at AFI. It was paid for by his parents. I mean, it was like, what? No. There's no best first-time filmmaker award. That's why other shows have them, because the Oscars don't have them. The Oscars aren't about to start taking their cues from the MTV Movie Awards and the fucking Indie Spirit Awards. Come on. I just it's it's it is frustrating. It's frustrating to read experts who sound who really have no fucking idea what they're talking about. And you have people that say it's a problem that the academy's voting membership is not required to view the films before they vote. So it really becomes a popularity contest. No shit. Everything's a popularity contest. You think people are voting for president based on their platforms? It's a popularity contest. That's why reality TV star won. And he's a moron. Like, but, uh, what is the solution to this? Because you, you can't have the, all 8,500 people watching every movie that's eligible for Best Picture. It's just impossible. A nominating committee? I don't think that's the way to go. I think that is very dangerous. I mean, my my old roommate was on the nominating committee for SAG. It was like, what qualifies this person to be one of the 1,500 people voting, you know? Um, I think overall I was happy with this year's Oscar nominations. I think people have to look at the Oscars for what they are, which is a, a show designed to honor the, the year's best, but it's really a, a three-hour advertisement for Hollywood and for the movies and to go to the movies. That's all they care about. It's about money. It's not about your legacy. It's not about history. It's not about me, me, me. The Academy, it's six years since I created, you know, it's, I created Oscar So White six years ago, and the Academy's never reached out to me. You know, like, I just... <sighs> what are you going to do? And, and and if and if if you go like me, if you rant on Twitter or or you raise your voice on a podcast, you get labeled this, this, and that, and it's it's ridiculous. I was out there flying the flag for Queen and Slim and and ju- and Just Mercy, like it's it doesn't make me a racist to not think that there that there's a problem, you know, like it's 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 cyclical, some of it. I was like the farewell has an all Asian gas, like I. 
I really thought that that should have been nominated. I thought it was deserving. Like they they over overlooked it. That's fine. Like I, I get it. It may not be for everybody. I'm not going to sit here and say the Academy's racist because they didn't nominate one of my favorite movies that that happened to be diverse. I just don't think you know a lot of people in the Academy don't get credit. Um, I think that everybody's trying and trying to be mindful. That's really what it's about. It's not about honoring diversity or inclusion. It's like just be mindful of it. And, and because that was the problem, it was out of sight, out of mind. But now, now uh, women are working, and, and and black people are working more, and you know the, the leads in movies more. That whole thing about black films not traveling overseas—that's that's out the window. I, I don't I don't hear that nearly as much as I used to. Um, so I think it's great that these movies are being made, and it will continue to be made. And. But you know, it doesn't guarantee awards aren't a guarantee. That that doesn't that's not part of it. Those don't come with it automatically. And you know, as the academy continues to to diversify, um, you know, th- things will continue to to change. And and but but it's not like black people had never been nominated before. This isn't the Baftas. <laughs> um. The Academy ha- have nominated, uh, has nominated, you know, people in the past who are deserving, regardless of of their skin color, regardless of their gender. You just have to, you know, play to their strengths. Play, you know, know what the Academy wants. Look at what they honor. Look at the movies that that they cater to. Um, and that's really it. So we can wrap up uh, there. That is all the Oscar stuff, guys. I mean, there wasn't even an Eric Bogosian tweet. It's like, oh, man, I wish I wish I could find it. Hold on. It was um, Eric Bogosian who's on Succession. And he's in Uncut Gems. Uh, where the hell did it go? Right. Eric Bogosian, January 13th. Great artists don't need awards. Remember that. Remember that when you're screaming that, uh, you know, you were overlooked or, or your, your movie was ignored or the Academy's racist and, you know, like everything's against you. Like, it, it's not true. It's not. I, I promise you there this people. There are good people in this town. Uh, and there are a lot of good people in the Academy. But. You know, pro- progress is slow. Um, so that that's it. I'm not going to make any apologies for thinking that the five guys who were nominated for Best Director uh, deserved it. Like, what what a wild notion. Um, that'll do it for the Snyder Cut, guys. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Cameo, at the Insnyder. Follow all the scoopage over on Collider.com. Tell a friend, tell everyone about this podcast. The world needs to hear it. I will be off at the Sundance Film Festival next week, so I don't think that there will be an episode. But when I get back, holy shit, I'm going to drop a dime on everything I saw at Sundance. All the sales, all the snow. (laughs) Have a great weekend, guys. And, And if I offended you this episode, forgive me. Just trying to keep it real. It's that little chico pit bull, Mr. 305, but it said Mr. Worldwide. And I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Everyone needs more vacation, right? The new United Gateway card knows how to take you away with great travel rewards and no annual fee. Ever. The wait for vacation is over. Tap now or visit unitedgatewaycard.com to apply.